Hey, Nicholas here. Welcome back to another episode of EMIGCast. On this episode, we'll be discussing palliative care in the emergency department. This is something that often gets overlooked in the heat of the moment and seemingly clashes with the typical ED style of saving lives. However, that may not actually be the case. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Shannon Oppie, an EM-trained physician at OHSU who is now starting a fellowship in palliative care. We're going to pick her brain about how these two worlds intersect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Really appreciate it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in this topic? Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So I am a recent graduate from an emergency medicine residency program here at OHSU. I am moving on to a palliative care fellowship, which after a few years of searching for the right next step, just felt perfect for me, ultimately. I initially got started, you know, became interested in palliative care as a medical student. I did some rotations as a fourth year on a palliative care consult team, just sort of mostly as an observer of the process. While it seems counterintuitive to go into both palliative care and emergency medicine, I found that it's really the perfect combination for me. This was more a, a serious consideration for me. Um, Late in my intern year, I was considering which fellowship would be right for me, and I saw a kind of a quick hit lecture at SAEM, which our program sends us to. It was a woman who was double-boarded in emergency medicine and palliative care, and she was talking about integrating a palliative care consult team within her emergency department and how she felt that that brought better outcomes in many ways to the patients she serves in the emergency department. It helped with um, symptomatic treatment in terms of chronic and life-threatening illness, it helped um, triage them to maybe slightly lower levels of care. Patients who might not be really wanting to have ICU level care would be admitted to the ward if the palliative care team were involved early on. Um, also helping with both patient and family satisfaction with how treatments were applied or explained to them. So I left that lecture, it was just five minutes. I didn't remember a whole lot of details, but I just had this thought in my mind, like maybe this would be a right combination for me, that this was even possible. I think emergency medicine is cool because you don't need to do a fellowship. You can just train in a residency program and go out into the community and have a really full and very fulfilling career. Um, for me, I wanted a fellowship for a couple of reasons. First, I might want to stay in academia, and it was kind of an avenue for that. There's a ton of room for research at the interface of emergency medicine and palliative care. There's a lot of room for teaching there, too. Secondly. Um, for on a more personal level, I'm a mother. I have two small kids, and they have no idea when I'm coming or going with my emergency medicine schedule. And I felt that something that offered a slight lifestyle alternative would be really helpful for my work-life balance. So for example, a pediatric emergency medicine fellowship, not the right choice for me, because it wouldn't give me that yin to yang sort of lifestyle change. <laughs> And then lastly, and probably most importantly, I chose to go into emergency medicine because I love being with patients and their families for acute moments in their lives. I chose to give up the clinic life. I chose to give up the longitudinal relationship with patients because that's really what I'm passionate about is being there for an acute moment. I felt that this palliative care fellowship would provide me that as well. Um, I'm really excited to be able to provide valuable resources, whether they're life-saving or palliative in nature when patients and their families most need them. So that's really what got me interested. 
Okay, so you are starting your fellowship shortly, but uh, this is not a fellowship through emergency medicine. This is a fellowship through internal medicine. So can you talk a little bit about what that fellowship is going to look like for you? Yeah, it's a little unusual to move sort of specialties after you've done a residency and one thing to move into a fellowship through another department. It happens sometimes, though, and especially in emergency medicine because our skills are really translatable to different areas of medicine. Um, so my fellowship is through an internal medicine department. It's Though it's a fellowship that matches uh, applicants from internal medicine, emergency medicine, family medicine, even neurology at times. So I'm coming into kind of a multidisciplinary team right from the outset. Um, so my fellowship year will be basically a Monday through Friday job. I'll be working on mostly inpatient consult palliative care teams where I'll be visiting kind of the sickest, most chronically ill patients in the hospital and providing guidance in terms of family meetings where you're sitting down with all the care providers and trying to decide goals of care. I'll be helping with symptomatic treatment and learning about how to treat you know, cancer-related pain, constipation, nausea, all the things that plague people kind of at the end of their life. Um, so that's kind of what I'm most interested in is the inpatient side of palliative care. There's like a whole other world, which is the outpatient side of palliative care, which I'll also be learning about. I'll be spending time doing home visits with home hospice. I'll be spending time in an inpatient hospice uh, facility where patients basically can't be cared for at home because their symptoms are so bad or their you know mobility is so bad that they need to be inpatient while they pass away. So I'll be doing some of that as well. Uh, less clinic time in my fellowship, which I'm grateful for because it's just not something I'm interested in personally, but that is another avenue from palliative care. You can have an outpatient clinic. Um, it's kind of the beauty of this specialty is it provides you a lot of different lifestyle and kind of treatment location options. Um, the complicating factor, though, is there's no emergency medicine built into my fellowship. Other emergency medicine fellowships like ultrasound, pediatric emergency medicine, education, toxicology, you are employed by a pallet, or sorry, an emergency medicine department. And so part of your contract is that you're doing shifts in the ED. I do not have that as part of my contract. And so I need to fill, find those shifts myself um, in order to keep up my emergency medicine skills during this year. The last thing I want to do is graduate residency and not work in an emergency department for a year. That scares me. <laughs> so I will be doing just one shift a week, four shifts a month. Sounds like basically nothing, but um, to, to keep up my skills um, and doing that sort of on a moonlighting basis. So it'll be extra to my full-time job. So since we don't normally associate palliative care with the emergency department, what does, what does palliative care look like in the ED? Palliative care comes to, into play a lot in the emergency department in ways you just don't even notice, I think, um, as an EM provider or as a medical student in the department. Um, we are a place where people come for relief of symptoms. Sometimes it's from acute appendicitis. Sometimes it's from, you know, uh, COPD exacerbation. Sometimes it's caused by chronic life-threatening illness. And that's really what palliative care is. It's treatment of symptoms in, this, in a life-threatening illness, right? So we treat often cancer-related pain in the emergency department. We treat complications of frailty and falls in the geriatric population. Um, so that's kind of the less exciting part of palliative care, but we do it so much in the ED without even knowing it. Other more pressing times where we use palliative care skills or skill sets you learn as a palliative care physician is um, 
having kind of nuanced and challenging conversations about goals of care. This comes up a lot in the ED when uh, you're having to decide whether you put a BiPAP on an elderly patient with dementia or you intubate them, you know, when you really don't want to. So you have to have a skill set for explaining these interventions to a family member, to a patient potentially as well, and helping them decide whether it's the right thing for them. Another way, stepping down in sort of acuity from that, is breaking bad news to a patient or their family. So a lot of times we will be the first person to see a tumor in a brain, a tumor in a belly, and we'll be the first person to say something's not right, something's going on here. And so we aren't well trained in how to do that. It's a skill that comes naturally to some people, comes very unnaturally to others, and practice is just all you can do to get better at it. Um, but there are ways to learn how to be better at it. And that's kind of what palliative care can teach you how to do. Um, and then really like baseline recognizing when palliative care services would be useful. So when you see patients with heart failure, who've had a stroke, who have end stage COPD, cancer, realizing if they haven't been connected with palliative care services that they should is super important. Mentioning the words palliative care to their family, telling them what they they can offer them, and then passing that along to inpatient teams if they're being admitted just starts the conversation and could make a really huge impact in the patient's life. So how do you envision being able to apply your fellowship training to everyday practice in EM? So I hope to practice both emergency medicine and palliative medicine sort of separately after I'm done with my fellowship. I want to do both probably part-time gigs in each. Um, That being said, your question was more kind of how I would see applying palliative care to my EM work. Um, And I don't know that I'll use it every day, but I hope that it makes me a more effective communicator at times of stress. Um, I also hope it gives me a better understanding of what the end of life looks like for people. I don't think that's something we all have experience in necessarily, and it happens to literally everyone. And so being there as kind of a wealth of information for patients and families who are undergoing basically the end of life or the end of a loved one's life to kind of ease worries and fears about what that will look like and what can help them through that process, I think would be just invaluable. I also hope, since this is kind of a newer combination in the emergency medicine world of an emergency medicine and palliative medicine trained physician, I hope that I can bring that knowledge to my colleagues and help their patients sort of indirectly. Awesome. So let's change gears a little bit and talk about kind of the nuts and bolts in the department. So what are some common interventions that EM docs would employ right there in the department? So besides our awesome communication skills in the time of stress, you know, that's definitely an intervention we should be thinking of as an intervention. Uh, Palliative care physicians use medications to make symptoms better at the end of life. So for example, air hunger, you can use morphine, you can use like a benzo, Um, airway secretions can be diminished with atropine or scopolamine, something like that. But to be perfectly honest, none of those are acute, acutely necessary interventions in any emergency department. So if you're not comfortable necessarily ordering those things for that purpose, you can always call your inpatient team and they can initiate them when they're either admitted to the hospital for comfort care or if they're discharged home to home hospice, you can leave it to those providers. 
Um, it would be worth doing kind of a one-time dose though, just to get them more comfortable. This may be something that when you're speaking with your residents or attendings while you're in the department, they might not be as familiar with. So bringing it up as a more palliative intervention um, might be reasonable. Okay, so that's really good to know. So what are some tools that are available to ED physicians uh, for palliative care? So while you're in the department on a shift, there's probably very little that you can like do quickly. Um, that being said, there is a website and app called vitaltalk.com, and it's uh, resources and tools to kind of move through almost mnemonics about how to have a serious illness or like serious news conversation. So I wouldn't necessarily like read up on it before I go into a room with a patient on like a Tuesday <laughs> swing shift, but I feel like um, it's something that's quick. It's like a quick hit way to review how to how to approach this or if it's something that makes you nervous just to calm you and give you clear steps of how to do it. So vitaltalk.com is one thing. Um, more robust um, would be resources put forward by EPIC. It's called Education in Palliative and End-of-Life Care, not the other EPIC <laughs> that we know so well in medicine. Um, and it's put out by the Feinberg School of Medicine. They have an emergency medicine specific curricula um, in terms of kind of PowerPoints and video clips and all that sort of thing. You do have to pay for it, so it would be like a department buying that for you, and then you could um, review those resources. If you just Google Atul Gawande's Being Mortal and watch the Frontline documentary, I will hard press all of you to not like shed a tear when you're watching that documentary. And like really, it, it should put a little passion behind you in palliative care because it's a wonderful documentary about um, Atul Gawande, who, um, if you don't know, he's a very well-known surgeon, uh, author, writer, who does treat patients with cancer. And he has a lot of reflection on his own inability to bring up the tough topics with his patients. And he talks very openly with spouses of patients who've passed away about how that could have affected their life in a positive way. So, you know, it's not l a light watch, you know, <laughs> after taking a, you know, an exam on pathophysiology of something, <laughs> but it's, it's something I totally recommend is looking into Tulgawande's being mortal. How can medical students be useful in providing palliative or end-of-life care in the ED? So I would probably tell you just to be aware and notice how things are done where you're rotating. Watch how other physicians talk about these things and kind of glom onto their style and things you like and things you don't like. I would never expect my medical student who's working with me to have a goals of care conversation with a patient or their families. But if they bring it up to you, explore their emotions, explore their thoughts on and like how much they know about decisions they have to make about goals of care. Then you can bring this up to your resident or attending and they're in a much better position to have that conversation. They know, you know, if there's competing emotions in the room, they know how people are feeling about it. So it just brings information and makes the whole system process better. As a student personally, I was always wanting to be involved in family meetings whenever they were happening. This wouldn't be in the emergency department as much, but for example, in your ICU rotations or in medicine ward rotations, I just say, go to those family meetings. Even if they're not your primary patient, if they would allow you to sit in and watch, do that. Because you'll see different styles and you'll see who's really good at having those conversations. And you can kind of work your way being to be like that. 
Um, I just say don't be the student that shies away from those tough conversations. Be there for the family and for your team with those tough conversations. You don't necessarily have to be the most knowledgeable person in the room um, to have like the greatest impact when it comes to to this stuff. So that's really useful info. So do you have any particular patient encounters that come to mind when this topic is brought up? I have a few. I think patients that come to mind initially are patients I've seen in an ICU setting where I've had to watch the family go from, you know, a young person with a brain injury, them living a really full life to then having to grapple with this patient who's now needing a lot of intervention and a lot of help and having to help them decide, do we do another round of antibiotics? Do we do another surgery? You know, so that's kind of a more general example of a patient that sits home with goals of care conversations within the emergency department. I haven't had a lot of success like discharging a patient to hospice, but I, what has happened to me personally in my residency is I feel that I've made an impact in admitting a patient to the hospital, but with clear goals in mind. So for example, I was working at the VA. I had an 80 some year old gentleman come in who literally looked like a highlighter. He had so much jaundice, um, had recently been diagnosed with cholangiocarcinoma. And his son was not present there with him, but basically his wife, the patient's wife, also very chronically ill and unable to care for him at home. So this was not a patient who we could discharge that night to home hospice. This was a patient who needed to be admitted to the hospital, but his son and the patient himself wanted nothing to do with a lot of interventions. I successfully admitted this patient to the hospital without an IV, which... (laughs) was a feat. <laughs> My nurses were like, what? You don't want to put in an IV? And I said, let's just, we can give him Zofran PO. Like he doesn't need it. We don't need labs. Let's just do this the way he and his son would like it. So that's kind of a nice example. Very rare. I mean, usually the IV is in place before you even see a patient, but that happened once. Another time um, I had a wife bring her husband in who had been admitted and readmitted and readmitted for end-stage COPD, pneumonia after pneumonia, and they were discharged with all the resources in place to start home hospice. He had another aspiration event, home hospice hadn't arrived yet, and she was very, very worried about the cost of home hospice and not really being able to have the benefits come through to get it. So she brought him in kind of at her wit's end and we admitted him to the hospital and he died just a few days later, but on comfort care, you know, no escalation of care at that point in time. And then a more challenging conversation I had was with a son of a patient who had severe dementia and she presented with very, very severe anemia. And they had to decide whether to transfuse her or not. And she would eventually die from this anemia if she weren't transfused. Um, And after a really nice conversation with the son and his sister, who was able to actually come in in person as well, they decided not to transfuse her. And it became very clear that there was a lot of harmony in the family about, about this being the right choice for their mother. So those are kind of a few examples of, of how it's played out for me personally. Well, thanks for sharing those patient encounters. It's always nice for us to have some tangible examples. So in closing, do you have anything else you would like to share with us medical students? Sure. Um, When I was choosing to go into emergency medicine, I felt slightly out of place. And I think I actually surprised a lot of 
people who knew me personally by making this choice. And I think that's because the typical ER doc that you hear about is sort of an adrenaline junkie, like cowboy, sort of gets down to business sort of person. And I am a much more emotional being than that. Um, And I guess I'd just like to say to medical students considering emergency medicine is that that's not true. That's not at all what my colleagues are like. Um, There could be a piece of their personality, but we are all feelers and like to get to know our patients on more emotional levels than than just the basics. Um, so just don't shy away from it if that's if that's your reason for not going into emergency medicine. Just cross that off your list because we need more providers who are emotional beings. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll have to maybe catch up with you in about a year and see how things have gone. Sounds good. Thank you so much. 